<laughs> How long are you going to go for? Okay, I'm done. All right, welcome back to, to the, the Dead, Dead to the, the World podcast. Podcast. President's Day edition. Woo. Yeah. Woo, woo. I am Tasha. I am Lexi. I am Mama Don. And we it, welcome you. And we're the dream team. And you're the dream team. And we're going to talk about presidents today. If you couldn't have already guessed. Because if you're listening on the day this comes out, tomorrow is President's Day. That is correct. Hope you're enjoying a day off. I don't get the on day On President's Day. Oh, dang. I don't think. Oh, wait. Does it, yeah, 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 yeah. You won't even be working. I know. <laughs> I get the day off. I'm very excited. Well, lucky you and everyone else who gets a day off. All right, Tosh, take it away. Okay. President's Day. Wow, that rhymed. Okay, President's Day. So, President's Day. Officially, Washington's birthday. Washington's birthday. George Washington? Washington? George Washington. (laughs) I was going to say, you have to realize there's going to be people from other countries listening, so they don't know necessarily our president. I'm so sorry. George Washington, the first president of the United States of America. Perfect. Perfect. So, um, so yes, President's Day is a holiday that is celebrated in the United States, and it is celebrated on the third Monday of February to honor all persons who have served in the office of the president of the United States. And the federal holiday specifically honors George Washington, who led the Continental Army to victory in the American Revolutionary War and also presided in the or at the Constitutional Convention of 1787. And, of course, as I mentioned, he was the first president of the United States mm-hmm. of America. So, President's Day, the official title in the United States. However, some of our states recognize it as like a different name so for example uh washington's birthday slash president's day is in maine lincoln slash washington slash president's day is in arizona and don't come at me if these are wrong this is what i got on the internet okay the use of washington alone so george washington day is in virginia Washington's birthday in Illinois. Illinois. They don't like it when you add the S. I am so sorry. Illinois. Washington's birthday in Illinois. Iowa, Massachusetts. Can't say that. (laughs) Michigan, Louisiana, and New York is also just the Washington's birthday. So I just think it's interesting because I don't know it as Washington's birthday. I know it as President's, President's Day. Day. Yeah, I guess we've never lived anywhere where they were like more name it something different. About it. Yeah, and then um, Lincoln and Washington's birthdays in Montana. Washington slash Lincoln Day is in Colorado and Ohio. Washington's and Lincoln Day in Utah. Really? Which I thought was odd because I don't know if it referred to like that. No, it, I get a calendar. It says President's Day on it. That's what I celebrate. This could be an old list. Who knows? I don't know. These could all be wrong for all I know. I did not fact check myself. Okay. Okay. And Where then, did you get this information? I want to say it was Wikipedia. Uh, so that could be the problem there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, Washington and Lincoln's birthday in Minnesota. And then George Washington slash Thomas Jefferson's birthday in Alabama. 
and George Washington's birthday and Daisy Bates Day in Arkansas. Daisy, Daisy Bates. Bates. Who's that? No idea. Should we Google that? Daisy Bates is an African-American civil rights activist and newspaper publisher. I feel like we should have known that and kind of, I feel like we're going to be embarrassed that we didn't know. Well, how about we just acknowledge that we didn't know that. We should have known that. We should and have now known that. we know and everybody else knows. Perfect. What state is that? Uh, Arkansas. Wow. Good, good for Arkansas. Good for Arkansas. For Way to be. That. Yes. So in, oh, I have one last state. I'm sorry. Have I bored you with states yet? Yes. yes I've got one okay, more. Go ahead. <laughs> In New Mexico, President's Day, at least as a state government paid holiday, is observed on the Friday following Thanksgiving. Although legally public, it remains the third Monday in February. Why, though? I have no idea. So they get off the day after Thanksgiving? Yes. So like Black Friday is Black Friday is like President's Day for them, like for government paid holiday. Interesting. But then legally like public... It's still technically the third Monday in February. That's so weird. But they just don't really celebrate it or do anything that day. Well, I guess I will find out because (gasps) some big news here that I mentioned I would share. What is it? If you're listening to this podcast at this exact moment in time. Which you are. You wouldn't hear this. Correct. I, myself, and Kyle, my husband, are in New Mexico. (gasps) And not just on vacation. No. We have moved to New Mexico. But right now, in our real time, she's still in the room with us because we're pre-recording some episodes to prepare for her to move to New Mexico. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So that is my big news, is that my husband has contracted with a travel nursing agency, and we are going to be moving around the states. Ah, so your first gig is in New Mexico. First gig is New Mexico. And I will figure out if they actually do things on president's day and i will check back with you all right we will let you guys know (laughs) so and and don't worry though we're still gonna do the podcast and tasha is still going to be part of it we just need to figure out how to do the long distance recording yeah so for some reason there's an episode with just mama don and lexi lou that is because i have yet to figure out the technical side of things and i think we'll get it figured out i think you're smart yeah i'm smart and she's our technical manager that's right anyways so President's Day. President's Day. (laughs) So um, there is something known as the vision that George Washington has had. So there's various accounts of George Washington having this vision or prophecy. And this is where I'm connecting this into the sorts of a dream. Because I don't know necessarily if it was like he dreamt of this. Like, I don't know if vision back then meant like I dreamt of this or if it was like literally someone came to him. You know, I'm not sure. Like in a I don't think it matters. It doesn't, but I'm just connecting it as a dream to connect it to the podcast, to connect it to President's Day. Yes. Granted, here I am talking about it. So I think we got the, we've connected the dots. Yes. Great. There have been only minor variations in some of the details of the story as it was like repeated over and over, like through the years from people who've heard it from General Washington. Um, but They were at Valley Forge on December 19th of 1777, which I feel like that just sounds so long ago. And General George Washington and his Continental Army had set up camp uh, for the winter ahead. So having just like fought the Battle of the White Marsh, the troops were weary and weak, 
Food was scarce. The Continental Congress was not sending supplies or money. Some of the troops actually did not have shoes to wear in the snow. Many of the soldiers were sick and dying from disease and exposure. And his morale, is that the word? Yeah, the What's morale? morale? Like your morale, like how excited you are to be there. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So the morale was at an all-time low. And there was great ag- agitation um, in the colonies um, against because they continued efforts to secure the freedom of England. So most people or like they would normally leave, but General Washington and his army stayed. And so that's why the conditions were so bad and they weren't getting the support that they were asking for, et cetera, et cetera. Um, nevertheless, though, George Washington was determined to see the struggle through. That would be so hard. Yep. And a hard decision for a general to keep his soldiers out there in terrible conditions, but he knew it was important. Correct. Um, so they, so these are some words firsthand from an observer named Anthony Sherman, who was there and described the situation. So he says, You doubtless heard the story of Washington going to the thicken to pray in secret for aid and comfort from God. And of those divine providence brought us safety through the darkness days of tribulation. So that's kind of what this Anthony guy said. And he goes on to say, one day, I remember it well, when the chilly winds whistled through the leafless trees, through the sky, though the sky was cloudless and the sun shone brightly, he remained in his quarters, referring to George Washington, nearly all afternoon alone. When he came out, I noticed his face was a shade paler, 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 thank you, than usual. (laughs) There seemed to be something on his mind, uh, more of an, more than that of an ordinary importance. Returning just after dusk, he dispatched an older, orderly, yeah, he dispatched an orderly to the quarters who was presently in attendance. After a preliminary conversation of about an hour, preliminary, yes, Thank you. You're welcome. Dude. Old time Old time words. words and Tosh, not a good mix. Anyways. That's okay. What is it again? Prim- preliminary. Preliminary. So after a preliminary conversation of about an hour, Washington gazing upon his companion with that strange look of dignity, dignity which he alone commanded, related the event that occurred that day. I'm excited to hear it. Oh, are you? Yes. I should know it, but I don't think I know what you're going to say. So this is George Washington's vision in his own words. And I got oh, this no. from just online. <laughs> I know, right? I'm just, I'm I know. just joking. In the old timey words. Buckle your belts. Seat belts. <laughs> and just, I mean, and buckle, keep your pants on. <laughs> and just please enjoy. I don't think it'll be too bumpy. I read through it beforehand, but no promises. All right. So. George Washington goes on to say, This afternoon, as I was sitting at a table engaged in preparing a dispatch, something seemed to disturb me. Looking up, I beheld standing up opposite side of me a singularly beautiful female. So astonished was I, for I had given strict orders not to be disturbed. It was at some moments before that I found language to inquire the cause of her presence. A second, a third, and even a fourth time did I repeat my question, but received no answer from this mysterious visitor except a slight raising of her eyes. 
Gradually, the surrounding atmosphere seemed as if it had become filled with sensations, the mysterious visitor herself becoming more airy and yet more distant to my sight. I now began to feel as one dying. I did not think, I did not reason, I did not move, all alike was impossible. Presently, I heard a voice say, Son of the Republic, look and learn. While at the same time my visitor extended her arm eastwardly, I now beheld a heavy white vapor at some distance rising fold upon fold. Before me lay spread out in one vast plain all the countries of the world. Son of the Republic, said the same mysterious voice as before, look and learn. At that moment I beheld a dark, shadowy being, like an angel, standing, or rather floating, in mid-air, between Europe and America. Dipping water out of the ocean in the hollow of each hand, he sprinkled some upon America with his right, while he left, while his left hand cast some on Europe. Immediately a cloud raised from the countries and joined in mid-ocean. For a while it remained stationary and then moved slowly westward until it enveloped America in its musky folds. Sharp flashes of lightning gleamed through its intervals, and I heard a smothered groans and cries of the American people. And then they put a little comment in mentioning that, like, if you're not really kind of understanding, that this part of the vision is describing, like, the war of independence. Okay. Okay. So then he goes on to say, again, I heard the mysterious voice say, son of the Republic, look and learn. At this time, the dark, shadowy angel placed a trumpet to his mouth and blew three distant blasts, and taking water from the ocean, he sprinkled it upon Europe, Asia, and Africa. Then my eyes beheld a fearful scene. For each of these countries arose a thick, black cloud that were soon joined into one. Throughout this mass were gleamed a dark red light by which I saw hordes of armed men who, moving with the cloud, marched by land and sailed by sea to America. Our country was enveloped in this volume of cloud, and I saw these vast armies devastate the whole country and burn villages, towns, and cities that I beheld spraying up. As my ears listened to the thundering of the cannon, clashing of swords, and the shouts and cries of millions in mortal combat, I heard again the mysterious voice say, Son of the Republic, look and learn. With the voice that had ceased, the dark shadowy angel placed his trumpet to his mouth and blew a long, fearful blast. Instantly, a light of a thousand suns shone down from above me and pierced and broke into the fragments of the dark clouds which enveloped America. At the same moment, the angel upon whose head still shone the word union and who bore an our national national sorry <laughs> i meant to say national <laughs> uh, who bore our national flag in one hand and a sword in the other descended from the heavens attended by legions of white spirits these immediately joined the inhabitants of america immediately taking courage again close up their broken ranks and renewed the battle once again, the voice said, Son of the Republic, look and learn. As the voice ceased and the shadowy angel for the last time dipped water, dipped water from the ocean and sprinkled it onto America, instantly the dark clouds rolled back together with the armies that had brought, leaving the inhabitants of the land victorious. Then once more, I began 
and beheld the villages, towns, and cities springing up where I had once seen them before, while the bright angel cried with a loud voice, while the stars remain in the heavens sent down, drew upon the earth, so long shall the union last, and taking from his brow the crown of which blazed the word union, he placed it upon the standard white of the people, kneeling down, and said, Amen. The scene instantly began to fade and dissolve, and I last saw nothing but the rising vapor that I'd first began to see. I found myself once just gazing upon this mysterious visitor, who in the same voice I had heard before say, Son of the Republic, what you have seen is thus interpreted. Conflict the whole world, united shall not prevail against her. Let every child of the Republic learn the lit learn to live for his God, his land, and the Union. With these words, the vision vanished, and I started, stared from my seat. I felt that I had seen a vision whereas had been shown me the birth, progress, and destiny of the United States. Wow. I've never heard that before. I've never heard that before either, and I was like, whoa. I'm shocked. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, and I mean, go ahead. Well, no, I was just saying he became the first president. He united everybody. Anyways, so that's the first time I've heard of that, which is kind of crazy. Me or too. maybe I've heard it in school. You don't know. Like, maybe I heard it in history class. I don't know if I did, but I I'm just saying. I would remember something similar to that if I had heard it in history class. You're I right. think so, too. Well, and it makes sense to me now because a lot of people I know who are very into politics will have, a ton of them have that picture of George Washington. There's a. Like the, kneeling? If you Google it, we can post it when we do this episode. But yeah. I, in, I think I know what you're saying. In, in like kneeling in, in the grove. And I think he's like, got like praying. his, like, so, he's holding something and his head's down. Yeah, I don't know. But I kind of think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So now I know what that picture is, is portraying. That's the word I was looking for. Portraying. Portraying. Yes. As he says um, that he went and kneeled to ask for God's help, basically. Mm -hmm. So then he was sent a message of what to do. That's so cool. So, and because of that, they continued and ended up winning and freedom. That's for the United States. You know, I worked in um, a business where I spoke to a lot of people internationally. And I remember uh, there was somebody I worked with um, who lived in England. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to be gone for, you know, Independence Day, the 4th of July. And he sent me a message back and said, yeah, the queen's still mad about that. Oh, that's <laughs> I just thought, that is funny. It's just because I've grown up. I, you know, we hear about that stuff, but we don't really think about it. Like, you know. So that is my information about George Washington. And to kind of tie that in, of course, to President's Day, which one, he is a president. But two, President's Day initially was started to honor or portray George Washington, his birthday, and kind of what he did for the United States. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then we just had so many presidents that were great that they just extended it to celebrate all presidents. Yes. Am I going next? Uh, yes. Yes. Go for it. Go for it. All right. So I got my information on presidents from the atlasobscura.com, historynewsnetwork.org, and history.com staff. All right. So, in the 18th century, many Americans were dubious of dreams, considering them to be products of bad indigestion or possible portents of mental illness, and were not likely to record or analyze them. This changed over the course of the 19th century, when people began to think of dreams as omens of things to come or portals to an inner world. In other words, it became cool to start telling people your dreams, even if you were a president. 
So I'm going to first talk about John Adams, who was the second president's president, second president of the United States. And he served as the president from 1797 to 1801. And the first dream is actually his wife, Abigail. It was January of 1797. She said, so this is her writing to her husband. I seldom think twice of dreams, but last night I had one so singular a nature that it has amused my mind today with various conjectures. I was riding in my coach, where I know not, but all at once I perceived flying in the air a number of large black cannonballs, the size of which of a 24-pounder. They appeared to be all directed at me. All of them, however, burst and fell before they reached me. Though I continued going immediately towards them, I saw them crumble all to atoms. But during this scene, two guns were discharged at my left ear, and flasks of which I saw and heard the report. I still remained unhurt, but proceeded undaunted upon my course. How would the soothsayers interpret this dream? So this is just a little information from the person who wrote the article. It says, Abigail Adam often dreamed of her husband during long separations. In this, she was like more than one spouse whose dreams appear in Burstein's book, The Difficulty of Travel in the 19th Century, made such periods of separation common. But this dream was different. Any soothsayer worth its soothing, Burstein writes, would tell her that the cannonballs were political attacks on her husband, the president, which she felt as keenly, if not more than he. The famed Adams put all her dreams. I seldom think twice of a dream and the light closing reference to the soothsayer. In typical of the 18th century, educated person's tendency to discount dream analysis as a foolish practice. Dream interpretations in early America were as widespread as forgers, purveyors, or instant cures, and other hucksters. So basically, she had this dream. The cannonballs were interpreted to represent, like, the attacks on her husband because he's the president. Well, that's what... But back then... Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just saying, the person who wrote the article says that's what they think it was. But back then, they didn't... Like, it was kind of seen as, like, not a thing. Correct. That dreams were really meaning anything. It was just, oh, it's just a dream. Yeah, so So every time she'd write about a dream, she'd be like, well, I usually don't think very much about dreams. Yes, but I... So she believed in dreams, but she started the letter and ended the letter with, eh. Like, Like, eh, maybe not. I don't know, but I normally don't think about them but here's what i dreamed and what do you think people would say about that yeah like people who don't know anything soothsayers people are just trying to trick us gotcha so i that was interesting and then benjamin rush had a dream that he also wrote to john adams about oh i'm not sure who benjamin rush is i didn't look that up do you want to look that up for me real quick benjamin rush was the leader of the american enlightenment and an enthusiastic supporter of the American Revolution. Okay. Okay. So it says, What book is that in your hands? Said I to my son Richard a few nights ago in a dream. It is the history of the United States, he said. Shall I read a page for you? No, no, said I. I believe in truth of no history, but in that which it contains in the Old and the New Testaments. But sir, said my son, these pages relate to your friend, Mr. Adam. Let me see then, I said. I read it with great pleasure and herewith send you a copy of it. Looking to convince two estranged friends to reconcile, Benjamin Rush sent John Adams a long transcript of a history he supposedly read in the dream. 
Rush, unlike many of his contemporaries, was interested in his own dreams and recorded them often. As we consider whether, unlike his other dreams, Rush had simply manufactured this one as a friendly conspiracy, Burstein writes, we should note that by 1809, he was already much in the habit of telling Adams his dreams. The dream letter is part of a longer correspondence in which the men exchanged nighttime visions as part of their friendly intimacy. Often these dreams centered on current political events. In this letter, Rush foretold Adams and Jefferson reconciling and added that it would be followed by the death of both men nearly at the same time. And both of these events came to pass. Hmm. So that's, so what, that's a, what he read in the book, that they would become friends again. So a premonition And dream. that would die at the same time. So I had to look up why Adams and Jefferson had to make up with each other. I didn't know what happened between them. So I pulled out a little history so that we could understand it. So in 1775, the 32-year-old Virginia-born and Brad Jefferson traveled from his mountaintop Monticello mansion to the bustling city of Philadelphia to serve as a delegate to the Second Congressional Congress. Sometime in June that year, after Jefferson arrived in the city of brotherly love, he met for the first time one of the most prominent and outspoken leaders in the resistance to British domain, John Adams. The Massachusetts attorney was the soft-spoken Jefferson Sr. by seven years, but neither their opposite personalities, age difference, or geographical distance separating their homes stood in the way of the start of a remarkable friendship that would span more than half a century. They forged a unique and warm partnership, both serving on the committee to draft a declaration of independence from British rule. According to Adams, Jefferson had the reputation of a masterly pen and was therefore tasked with using his writing skills to draft the document. Jefferson was impressed with how Adams so powerfully defended the draft of the document on the floor of the Congress, even though he thought Adams was not graceful, not elegant, not always fluent in his public addresses. In 1780, they found themselves thrown together once again as diplomats in Europe, representing the newly minted United States. These collaborations and their families were friends. But in 1796, oh, sorry, I read that wrong. These collaborators and their families were friends. But by 1796, their friendship was obliterated by the rise of political parties, which starkly differed visions of the, United, of the new American experiment. With his election that year as the nation's second president, the Federalist Adams himself saddled with Jefferson as his vice president, representing the Democratic-Republican Party. Tensions were high between the two men. Just three months after their inauguration as the embryonic nation's top two elected officials, Jefferson privately groused to French diplomats that President Adams was distrustful, obstinate, excessively vain, and takes no counsel from anyone. Weeks later, Adams spewed out his frustration, writing in a private letter that his vice president had a mind soured yet seeking for popularity and eaten to the honeycomb with ambition, yet weak, confused, uninformed, and ignorant. When Jefferson ousted Adams from the presidency in the election of 1800, Adams was forced to pack his bags and vacate the newly constructed executive mansion after just a few months. At 4 o'clock in the morning on March 4, 1801, 
Jefferson's inauguration day, the Solon Adams slipped out of the executive mansion without fanfare, boarded a public stage, and left Washington. The streets were quiet as the president left the Capitol under the cover of darkness on his journey back home. He wanted nothing to do with the men who had publicly humiliated him by denying him a second term as president, nor in witnessing Jefferson's inauguration and moment of triumph. For the next dozen years, these two giants of the American Revolution largely avoided one another, still nursing wounds inflicted by the poisonous partisan politics of their era. But on July 15, 1813, Adams made an overture, reaching out to his former friend and foe, writing, you, you and I ought not die until we have explained ourselves to each other. The letter broke the dam and began a series of remarkable letters between the two men that lasted for more than a dozen years until death claimed them both on July 4th, 1826, the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Oh, interesting. That gives me chills. Yeah, that's crazy. To think that the, that, that gentleman, what was his name again? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. Benjamin Rush. Oh, yeah. Benjamin like, Rush. had the dream that they would Ooh, what a rush. reconcile and that they would... <laughs> And, and that they would die about the same time, yeah. and they literally died on the same day. Yes. That is very crazy. On so. the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of, of Independence. Independence. So That's crazy. I don't think you can get much better than that for, like, having a dream be a premonition of the future. Yeah. So, the next one, Abraham Lincoln. My mm. favorite president. He was the 16th president of the United States, and he served from 1861 to 1865. And his birthday is February 11th. So it is this coming Friday because we're recording on Wednesday. It's already passed if you're listening. Yes. But it's February 11th. Oh, wait. It might be February 12th. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Do you want to look it up? Nobody asked. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. I just always remember it because... It's so close My to yours. My birthday and Daddy Dell's birthday is February 15th. Abraham Lincoln is February 12th of 1809. Okay. Got it. I was a day off. So let me go into this. So did Abraham Lincoln predict his own death? So you may have heard the story before, but here goes. Ward Hill Lamont, Abraham Lincoln's former law partner, friend, and sometimes bodyguard, told a famous story about the 16th U.S. president's premonition of his own death. According to the tell, just a few days before his assassination on April 14, 1865, Lincoln shared a recent dream with a small group that included his wife, Mary Todd, and Lamont. About 10 days ago, I retired very late. I had been up waiting for important dispatches from the front. I could not have been long in bed when I fell into a slumber, for I was weary. I soon began to dream. I heard subdued sobs as if a number of people were weeping. I went from room to room. No living person was in sight, but the same mournful sound of distress met me as I passed along. Determined to find the cause of the state of things so mysterious and so shocking, I kept on until I arrived to the East Room, which I entered. There I met a sickening surprise. Before me was a, ca a cuff, uh, sorry, catafalque. I had to look that up. Catafalque, which is a decorated wooden frame supporting a coffin of distinguished persons during a funeral or while lying in state. The more you know. So the I, more you I know. I never heard that word before, catafalque. Okay, so on which rested a corp wrapped, wrapped in funeral vestments. When Lincoln asked one of the soldiers who had died, the soldier replied, the president, he was killed by an assassination. Oh, 
Interestingly, Lincoln supposedly later insisted to Lamont that the body on display was not his own, so he himself did not view the dream as a portent of his own demise. Some historians have cast doubt on Lamont's account, which was first published in 1880, nearly 20 years after the assassination. Assassination. Wow. Assassination. Yes. Though Lamont claimed to have reconstructed the incident based on notes he made in 1865, it does seem odd that neither he nor Mary Lincoln mentioned the dream right after the president's murder. But even if Lamont's story isn't true, Abraham Lincoln was apparently quite interested in the meaning of dreams and what they had to say about future events, both positive and negative. Proof of his curiosity lies in an 1863 letter to his wife, who at the time was in Philadelphia with their 10-year-old son, Tad. Lincoln writes that Mary had better put Tad's pistol away as he had an ugly dream about him. Moreover, members of Lincoln's cabinet recalled that on the morning of his assassination, the president told them his dream of sailing across an unknown body of water at great speed. He also apparently revealed that he had had some dream repeatedly on previous occasions before nearly every great and important event of the war. So he's saying he would have this dream of sailing across the ocean super fast any time a big thing happened with the war. That's interesting. Hmm. So this story again points to Lincoln's interest in the predictive powers of dreams, but it doesn't offer hard evidence that he foresaw his own death. All right. That was my information for the president's day. Wow. Thank you. Dreams. Go ahead, Lexi. It's your turn. Ooh, Lexi. It's my turn. My turn. I'm going to do a little... A, a more recent president, not the most recent president, but Obama. Obama. So I have an article from the Atlantic.com that was written by Will D. Novi. And so he said, uh, every step in his presidential journey, um, you know, Obama that we were talking about, <laughs> people across the United States have been seeing Obama in their sleep in rapturous fantasies, skin-crawling nightmares, and all sorts of weird situations in between. This phenomenon first came to light during the 2008 primaries when the novelist Sheila Haiti solicited dreams about the Democratic candidates on a website called The Metaphysical Poll. As hundreds of dreamers submitted reports, the dreams about Obama gradually outnumbered the dreams about Hillary Clinton and painted a glowing portrait of the Illinois senator. Dream Obama was a loyal husband, a generous friend, a cool-headed decision-maker, and a scorching hot lover. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Spicy. Mm-hmm. So, I went and found some dreams that people have had about Obama from the metaphysical poll that they mentioned in that article, and I'm going to read you some of those. So, the first one is from a breastfeeding mother of five-month-old twins. They give you a little, it's anonymous, but they tell you kind of what the person was. Gotcha. So, so you what can the person them. was. Yes. She said, I got on an elevator in a skyscraper. A man in a suit stepped onto the elevator with me. I pushed the button for the 10th floor. I turned and saw the man in the suit was using a breast pump. I could not see the part that was attached to him, just the tubing and the bottles that collect the milk. In 10 seconds, in the 10 seconds that it took us to reach the 10th floor, he had filled five ounce bottles. Five ounce bottles. I don't know why I almost said water bottles. <laughs> five ounce bottles. So two five ounce. So two bottles with five ounces each, right? Yes. Because if you're mm-hmm. pumping brush, you have two bottles. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. And then she said, "Wow, I thought admiringly, he is really productive." And the man was Barack Obama. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's funny. <laughs> the next one is from a 39 year old mother and Clinton supporter. 
Then it says, I was in my dining room with Barack and he was writing his date of birth on a piece of paper. I noticed that the year was 1974 and I was shocked. He had been lying about his age. I didn't confront him about it, but rather got up and left the house. So he's a liar. Well, in her dream. In her dream. I know. The next one is an 18-year-old female from Canada, and she said, I was on a bus coming home from university, and Obama came and sat beside me. I don't know how I knew it was him, because I don't follow the election at all. He was wearing a dirty suit and smelled bad. I was reading, and he asked me what I was reading. I showed him the book, The Lord of the Rings. I've never even seen the movie, he exclaimed. And then he gave me his business card from his wallet. It was really cheap, like something printed off of a school computer, and Senator was misspelled. He got up to get nachos from the bus concession, and I put my backpack on his chair so that he wouldn't sit by me again. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, gosh. that's so funny. Well, that makes sense that she wasn't, like, following it, because she's Canadian. Mm-hmm. Which is funny, because then it's, like, so random that Obama so random. would be in her dream. But true. Okay, the next one is a female Harvard Law grad living in Boston. She said, I'm a Harvard Law School alum. I'm at a Harvard Law School alumni event and managed to get up the nerve to sit next to Obama. I extend my hand and say, good afternoon, Senator. I introduce myself and say, class of 2006. He says, Barack Obama, class of 1991. For a moment, we share a con- conspirational smile. Does that make sense? Conspiratorial. Conspiratorial. Like, do you have an inside joke? Uh, like we've played a private game in which he's just another fellow alum. Then he turns away. I can feel his tiredness, his desire to stop moving, to breathe, to rest. After the event, I'm walking towards Harvard Square and I see him walking towards the tea station. He's wearing an Oxford cloth shirt and slacks and is pulling a roller suitcase. I smile and ask if he would like a ride to the airport. He says he's fine with the subway. I tell him it's no trouble and that my car is right around the corner. Then he is in my bed wearing blue striped boxers. I have a perfect apartment in Harvard Square. And the room has a bohemian look, all earth tones and Indian prints. The afternoon sun is coming through the window above the bed. I remember the intense conversation we shared and think about how I offered him my bed for a nap. We're talking less intensely now. I'm reclining on the side of the bed, not touching him, but I'm very close and the attraction is palpable. We fall silent and our eyes meet and then we kiss very softly. (laughs) I can feel his desire to relax, to be himself and to lose himself here. I realize this could never be kept a secret. I know how disastrous it would be for the man about to be our country's first black president to have an affair with a white woman 20 years his junior. I cannot risk any chance of being the woman who will cost our country his presidency. I pull my hand on my chest. Sorry, I put my hand on his chest and say, this is getting really dangerous really fast. Oh, that is crazy. (laughs) I don't think Michelle would be very happy. Nope. (laughs) I don't think she would. And you know what's really funny? So we don't have subways here in Utah. So when you said tea station, I literally thought of someplace where you go and make tea. (laughs) <laughs> Not like the letter T of a subway station. Well, it kind of makes sense because, well, the only thing I know about in Ivy League schools and Gilmore Girls, and they always talk about going to the coffee carts. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense if maybe at Harvard yeah. they have tea stations. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. I dumb. Okay. And no, then my... No, no, no such thing as dumb. Mm, yeah, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I like to differ about... But I think we're, we're okay looking at it. three of them. It's us. Oh, it's us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The last one I have is from a 27-year-old female middle school librarian. 
She says, I'm staying at the Obama resident with Barack and his wife. The guest spot on the floor is uncomfortable, so I get into bed with the happy couple. <laughs> Miss- Michelle is sandwiched in the middle. Barack has his arm around his wife, but he's stroking my ear the way a lover might. Oh, my. Oh, that's just weird. <laughs> I think it's so funny that, that it seems funny. like so many people had, like, sexual dreams about uh, him. That is crazy. Yeah, he wasn't ugly. Just saying. Mom, just saying. Have you had a dream that you'd like to share? No. <laughs> I don't yeah. dream about politics at all. Yeah. I don't think I've I ever had a dream about a president or about politics at all. Yeah. You know what? I don't think not I my cup either. of tea. Yeah. Not my cup of tea. Not my tea station. Yeah. Not my tea station. <laughs> a good one. But yeah. That's what I had. Oh, I love Lovely. it. That was, that was a really good spin off of the president. That, yes. And I love how, like, wide variety of ideas. Like, some people love him. You mean Literally. Dreams? Some people hate him. Some people love him, literally. <laughs> In the dreams. <laughs> some people like him stroking their ears. <laughs> and some people like them in boxers. Striped boxers. Was it sh- blue, blue striped, striped boxers? boxers? Mm-hmm. That's funny. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we hope you're all... Uh, I was going to say having a wonderful President's Day. Maybe you're listening to this on President's Day. I don't know. Maybe you're just chilling around the house. Maybe you were lucky and got the day off. And now you can listen to this on President's Day. Yeah, maybe you're taking down your Halloween. Oh, not Halloween. What? <laughs> your Valentine's decor and putting up whoa. your St. Patrick's I Day. Sure, I sure hope your Halloween decor is away. But either way... Rate and review us on iTunes and Podchaser and rate us on Spotify. And follow us on social media at Dead to the World Podcast. And our email is dead to the world podcast at gmail.com. And if, if you you've had dreamt dream- about a president, <laughs> please oh. tell us. Oh, yes. yes. Please tell us. We want the Especially dish. the spicy ones. I would love to know. Yep. Not like, like too much detail. George Washington <laughs> walks in and throws his wig on the floor. <laughs> Takes out his wooden teeth. <laughs> oh my and kisses me Ew. passionately okay that's Ooh, disgusting dear. visual okay <laughs> now we know what you dream about all right so join us next week to find out what happens when we are dead, dead to, to the, the world. world well thank you